0: Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.
1: Through
2: conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements promising to improve outcomes and create resilient, patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion, Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the unseen upside. Available now.
0: Hello, I'm Michael Calori. I'm an editor here at Wired, and you are listening to the Gadget Lab Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Arielle Pardes. Hello. And Lauren Good. Hello. Uh, We are here at CES 2019 in Las Vegas, Nevada. We've been here all week, and uh, you may notice that the recording sounds a little different than usual. It's because we're not in our beautiful, lovely, high-tech studio at the Wired offices. We are sitting on a floor in a hotel room recording this into our mobile unit one. So um, we do apologize that the sound is not absolutely pristine, perfect. It's just like a like skosh below what is usually the the normal uh, audio quality on the show. But um, we will have an interview later and uh, that will also be a mobile recording. But it's a little bit uh, nicer sounding than this one. Anyway, thank you for tuning in. This is a podcast where we take you through all of the top tech topics of the week and break down the gadgets, the apps, and services that you need to know about. But the show is not just about gadgets, it's about our relationship with them and how they impact our lives.
2: And this week, those gadgets have stolen my voice.
3: Uh,
2: we are wrapping things up at the annual Consumer Electronics Showcase, which is, of course, a multi-day consumer electronics fest in Las Vegas where we get to see all of the new shiny things that will set the tech trends
1: for the rest of the year and beyond. And Arielle was so excited. She kept walking up to the gadget booths just screaming with excitement. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Which is why she lost her voice. Now, I feel like everybody has to lose their voice at some point at CES. Um, it was a totally show. We've been writing diligently on Wired.com all week. So be sure to go check out all of our daily recaps, our longer form stories, and all of our really amazing social videos that our amazing social team put together. Um, But you can also just continue to listen to this podcast because we are about to break down all of the biggest trends of the show.
2: That's right. And later in the show, we have an interview with Jen Wong, who is the COO of Reddit, um, who I had the chance to interview about what's happening at the company and the sort of transitional moment that they're in.
0: All right. So before we get to the interview, let's do sort of a rundown of what we saw this week at CES. It is literally thousands and thousands of gadgets spanning nearly 3 million square feet of expo space in Las Vegas, Nevada. There are some obvious trends this year. Uh, The Internet of Things, of course, ridiculously beautiful and huge displays, lots of talk about AI, lots of talk about 5G all of the other buzzwords, but one of the biggest trends was security. Security was a big trend this year because almost nobody was talking about security. In, <laughs> in a year where we've had, um, you know, sort of a reckoning with Facebook data and how it was being uh, collected and then sold and utilized and with data breaches and with people sort of figuring out that the internet knows way more than them than they're comfortable with, we still walked around the expo hall and saw all of these gadgets that can track your child, or you know, do use facial recognition technology to let people into your house, or record absolutely everything that's happening in your in your in your home. Um, and yet, with very few exceptions, at least that that I saw and that the other people that I talked to saw, um, very few companies were actually willing to have that conversation about about security, about what data they're collecting. How long they're holding on to it, what you can do to see what they're collecting, and how it's deleted when you kill your account.
1: Yeah, CES kind of always feels like a bubble away from what's really going on in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, more broadly, but also what else is going on in the rest of the tech world. So you get sucked into this vortex for a week, and there's a lot of exuberance here. And so... It tends to feel like I don't know the ills and the woes of just just the year before that just ended don't necessarily trickle into c e s so I mean, I had a similar experience when i i was at one point I was talking to a smart glasses company and was setting up a new pair of smart glasses, and I was going through the onboarding process and i you know I went to go tap through permissions, and one of them just said... This gadget would like access to your contacts, and that's it and i I turned to the company and you know their this product is relatively new, and I said, "Why do you need access to my contacts? There should be something that explains that in app permissions. I really feel like it's twenty nineteen people, and we need to get better about app permissions and explaining what this means because it's not just like the security of all of these internet connected products it's not just about having like you know hardware and firmware and software that protects from things being like hacked, it's also about the data sharing policies that are on, you know, the back end of what is going on. And um, yeah, I think you're totally right in that it was a trend in the sense that nobody was talking about it and it absolutely should have been a much bigger deal.
2: Yeah. That's especially true given how many new products we saw that are collecting data about your body, which <laughs> is one of the other big trends, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, increasingly, CES feels like a health tech show where a lot of the new and exciting stuff is, is geared toward health and fitness. Um, obviously, those privacy concerns come into play there when a gadget is collecting information about biometrics. Um, but there was actually a lot of really exciting and promising stuff this year. Um, a couple of the things that I wanted to highlight were um, Track's VR bike, which is a stationary bicycle that uses VR and sort of gaming to help people exercise better and more thoroughly, which was really cool and had a super fun demo. So
0: like you wear a VR headset and pedal a bike?
2: Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> Does it gets sweaty. It sounds like crazy. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but their demo was insanely fun. And it seems like an interesting way to merge like two kind of old technologies into something that feels new and innovative. Um, There was also the Fight Camp connected boxing system, which is uh, (laughs) sort of a a boxing gym that you can put in your home that has these sensors and the gloves. And so those demos were also crazy fun. You saw people sort of in their like, you know, button down shirts, like punching the hell out of these uh, punching bags and collecting data on like their swings. Um, And then of course the Jack's Jocks connected kettlebell, um, which Lauren, I know you're obsessed with.
1: Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. It's basically one giant kettlebell and within it there are like, you know, donut weights and you program it to either release or pick up extra donut weights depending on how heavy you want it to be. So I think it ranges in weight from like 12 up to 60 something pounds all in one kettlebell. So you don't need like a giant weight rack in your home with multiple weights. You have all the weights packed into one.
2: I love that. It's super cool. It feels like there's been a sort of wave of peloton-like fitness systems that we really saw this year coming to fruition where it's like you don't have to get a gym membership you don't have to go to classes like you can just buy this one sort of fitness gadget and have the whole system come to you and then the other thing we saw a lot of were these really practical ways for people to sort of take care of specific health concerns right so you always see stuff like connected toothbrushes and you're like okay who really (laughs) needs that um that stuff is you know you could take it or leave it but this year we saw stuff like the Tidal Care, um telehealth system for kids, which is like if your kid has uh, a sore throat, um, instead of taking a half day off work, taking them to the doctor, waiting in line, uh, wasting a bunch of time for the doctor to be like rest and drink fluids, you can basically telehealth um, a picture of your kid's throat to a doctor through the system, which is really, really cool. We saw the Withings BMP core, which is for taking an electrocardiogram or measuring your blood pressure. And then this company, Aranos, has a device that uh, basically works like a breathalyzer for monitoring blood glucose. So instead of having to prick your finger all the time, um, you can breathe into something. So like lots of actual innovation in ways that felt practical and interesting and um, will set trends, I think, for, for the year and years to come. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it really points to this consumerization of healthcare. That's interesting. I, you know, on the one hand, you always have to be concerned that these may not have gone through clinical trials or white papers haven't been published or peer-reviewed, and you really don't know the efficacy. And once again... Do you have to be concerned about the data sharing practices? But on the other hand, a lot of devices are really expensive and inaccessible for people to get access to when they need healthcare devices. And if you think look at something like hearing aids, right? Um, and and those are you know coming to the consumer market in different ways. And I find that to be really and they're connected, and I find that to be really interesting. We even saw one wearable that was aimed at. Um, so helping to solve incontinence well not solving incontinence but like t- letting people know when their bladder was about to get full and it might become an issue yeah
0: it's a um, um uh, uh uh ultrasound machine
1: mm-hmm. yeah and you stick it on your abdomen yeah and then it, yeah I and mean, it
0: alerts your caregiver that maybe it's time that they take you on a bathroom trip
1: that's right <laughs> i mean that's pretty that's pretty fascinating stuff That's great Well, maybe the future of CARE is actually robots, because Mm. per usual, we saw a lot of robots at CES this week. Um, Two sets of robots were particularly interesting. One was from, one set was from LG, another set was from Samsung. Neither of these were brand new. We'd seen some version of these robots before, but um, LG has a robot brand called, uh, what is it, Croy? Croy.
3: Yeah,
1: Chloe, Chloe? Yeah, Chloe, I think. Yeah, C L O I or something. Yes, that's that's that is correct. Um, and one of them is like a guide robot. Another one is a server robot. Another one is a cart bot. Um, another one is an exoskeleton It's supposed to help people who work, you know, physical jobs that are bending and squatting all of the time. Um, Samsung similarly had like the CareBot and its Gems, which are an exoskeleton. It was kind of funny; their their product lineups were almost like in the robotic space were actually like kind of mirrors of each other. Um, And, of course, they're both giant South Korean electronics companies. Um, One in particular I found interesting, and I know, like, there's a lot of junk robots out there at CES, by the way. So just keep that in mind. And there are a lot of things that are, like, vaguely humanoid or vaguely automated, and they're called robots. Mm -hmm. Um, But one that I really thought was cool was the LG Chloe um, CartBot, which we saw last year, but this year we saw a functioning demo of it it looks like a robot face and you walk up to it and it's round and it's got these blinking eyes and everything. Um, and then it's, it's pretty large, right? Uh, and then it's supposed to, re- like, you're, okay, let me back up a little bit. You, the idea is that you would walk into some type of retail store or grocery store and instead of seeing a bunch of regular push carts lined up, you would see a bunch of these Chloe cart bots. You would, like, log in in some way, shape, or form, which already sounds sketchy, and then the Chloe bot would recognize you and continue to recognize you as you were grocery shopping. And then the whole back of the of the bot, when you like go to the back side of it, is just like this big old butt of a cart. So what you would do is you'd say like, okay, I'm ready to go shopping now, and you start walking down the aisle, and then you're picking items up and throwing them in the back of the robot and the robot just follows you down the grocery store aisle and then if you have trouble finding something you could say like where's the cheese and the robot would tell you because it's been programmed for that particular location the cheese is in aisle nine or whatever it might be um so yeah i i was like really struck by this i was like this sounds kind of hokey but at the same time there's a lot of stuff that's going on especially in retail right now that's already becoming very high tech but it's got this kind of like um, outdated, like finish and style, like stylization to it. Um, like there are sensors everywhere in retail stores now. We just don't see them because everything looks the same. But I could totally picture a future in the like the not so distant future where things start to look like very, I don't know, high tech and robotic, and like we're just the robots are everywhere. Yeah,
0: I think that maybe when that does happen, um, we won't necessarily think about them as quote unquote robots anymore. Mm -hmm. They'll just be, like, the automated shopping cart.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, Like, right now, we're looking at it as robots because it, you know, has, uh, like, a sort of a a presence, like a physical, uh, sorry, a, a humanoid presence on the screen, and it uses facial recognition, and, you know, it has all of these things that we are familiar with as being, like, emerging technologies, but maybe soon it'll just be, like, that's just what shopping carts look like.
2: Right. Yeah. And then your shopping cart will use facial recognition to automatically bill you. And so Mm -hmm. there will be no cashiers. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can really like take this idea Mm -hmm. all the way, all the way home. Yeah.
0: Yep. Follows you out to your car. Uh Uh-huh. You put the stuff in the back of your car and then you tap your phone and it runs back into the, runs back into the store.
1: Yeah. I mean, you totally picture this happening in like an Amazon store too.
0: Will I will I still be able to slam the shopping cart into other people's shins?
1: <laughs> oh, that's so satisfying.
2: <laughs>
0: um, so there were also tons of buzzwords at CES, things that we hear people talking about that don't really have any relation to reality. Uh, those types of things, like five G, which we heard a lot about at the show, eight K televisions, which is like five more K than you probably actually need. Uh, foldable displays which are really cool except also kind of clunky and not really ready for prime time.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> true. We saw all of those things and none of them sort of made our uh, made our ears prickle. Um, mm-hmm. Lauren, you wrote a great piece for Wired.com about the sort of mythology behind 5G, which is something we heard repeated very many times at CES this year. But um, as you wrote in your piece, like is nowhere close to becoming a reality.
1: Yeah, I think that's something we can expect a lot in the next 12 to 24 months for sure, because a lot of the wireless carriers in the U.S. specifically have said that they're planning on launching 5G um, in certain markets like in 2019, 2020. And we're also going to see a couple of really significant mobile handsets come out this year that will have support for 5G. So it's like becoming a little bit more of a reality in some ways. But in terms of just nationwide availability of the true 5G standard that has been set by the organization that has determined what 5G really is, um, in terms of like the um, infrastructure that's required to make it work and the speeds that it's supposed to achieve. That's still not going to happen for a very long time. So CES just became this place where people were talking about it a lot. And, like, for example, uh, Verizon gave one of the keynotes this week, and Verizon had people on stage, including the CEO of The New York Times and including the CTO of Walt Disney Studios, talking about how 5G will fundamentally change everything. But then everyone just kept saying, Come back in a year and we'll show you more. Come back in a year and we'll show you the fruits of our labor. Um, so that was kind of – that was like the subtle undertone behind all of the hype, like the 5G hype for sure.
0: It's like when a Game of Thrones season ends.
1: <laughs> it's like you want to find out what happens?
0: Come back in 18 months. That's
1: right. While well, someone writes a book in between. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. They're still writing the book on 5G certainly.
0: Um, so – we're probably going to hear a lot more about 5G in February, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, Samsung uh, is very likely to launch its flagship handset in February. And then there's the Mobile World Congress, uh, which is now just called MWC Barcelona, um, which will happen at the end of February. And that's just an industry-wide mobile conference where everyone gets together and talks about innovation. And we're going to hear a lot about 5G then. Mm -hmm. But once again, I don't think that, like, between now and then, which is about six weeks away, eight weeks away, it's not like we're all going to start pulling down 5G uh, speeds on our phones. Unless, of course, you have an AT&T phone, and it's suddenly strangely been updated to say 5G-E. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, means nothing. <laughs> right. It means evolution. This is evolutionary people. Uh, yeah, that was some of the drama this week, actually. Mm-hmm. And then Verizon wrote an open letter, um, th- like that was definitely jabbing at AT&T, though it did not name AT&T, um, saying like we need to get our we need to all get our marketing straight, which I think is true. So yeah,
0: big subtweet. Yeah.
1: So did you guys get <laughs> the chance to check out all the crazy 8K displays? Because 8K was also something that people were talking about a lot this week.
0: Yeah, they look great. Um, you know, they like. Those, the 8K sets that I saw were all just huge, like, obscenely huge. And I think it's probably because, like, if you want to put 8,000 pixels on a display, you need to make it, like, extra big because you can only make the pixels so small. Um, but also, you know, if you stand 15 feet away, like, way further back than you would normally stand or sit if you had a television in your home, um, it still just looks, like, crazy, crazy sharp, mm-hmm. crazy good, and, like, almost unreal, um, which or sorry almost almost real which makes it that much more unreal like uh uh the uncanny valley of k on televisions <laughs> I don't know um it's it, it, uh i they're so expensive and everybody's talking about them and everybody says that they want to make sure they get the tv that's going to last them a long time when they buy their next tv so should they buy an ak television and like the answer is no mm-hmm. um there's absolutely nothing out there that you can watch in full resolution on an 8k television.
1: So it will be a while before we all fall into the 8k hole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for now it's just we're just going to watch like an endless loop of lush waterfalls and starry starry night and, you know, crazy looking wolves. 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 Wolves, thank you, <laughs> editor, for correcting me. <laughs> that. Yeah, good edits. <laughs> <laughs> With like crazy green eyes and like, you know, the fur so up close. It's like, you that's know, it's basically what I saw at the LG booth.
0: Yeah, like that's, that's actually kind of cool because if you think about it, like, where else? On Earth are you going to see an eight K television? Like they're not selling them at Best Buy, mm-hmm. as far as I mean, last time I went to Best Buy, which was probably in like the nineties. Um, <laughs> you know, they're not they're not really like selling them at retail because they cost twenty grand. So like if you want to see an eight K television, you have to come to someplace like this where people bring out the biggest and the brightest and the mm-hmm. best and it was I don't know. Eye candy.
1: Total eye candy. Yeah, in some ways, it feels like the closest you get to nature in a week like this. (laughs) I just stood under the LG display for a while with waves washing over me, and I was like, "Oh, I remember the outside." (laughs)
0: Um, well, uh, that's about it for all of the trends that uh, we saw at CES this week. Uh, and also, another thing that we did this week is, Ariel, you had a sit-down interview with the chief operating officer of Reddit, Reddit.com. Maybe you've heard of it. Her name is Jen Wong. Uh, why don't you give us a little preview?
2: Yeah. So uh, Jen was hired less than a year ago um, as Reddit's COO. And part of her job is to try and make Reddit more of a real business. Um, Reddit, obviously, is one of the top websites in the world. They have, I think, 330 million monthly users. Um, it's a mass of people, but uh, the company has always kind of struggled to monetize that and to make that feel like a legitimate business. Um, and so Jen, who comes from this rich background in digital media, has brought this interesting perspective to what it means to, like, make reddit grow up Mm -hmm. um so our conversation was really fun it's uh, not about gadgets at all which felt like a nice reprieve this week Mm -hmm. (laughs) and in it you will hear uh, a younger Ariel, a couple days younger (laughs) (laughs) i still had my full voice so i hope you enjoy that
0: all right
4: let's have a listen
5: jen wong thank you so much for joining us on the gadget lab podcast
4: thank you for having me
5: so you joined reddit less than a year ago yes and before that, uh, you worked as the COO and president of digital at Time, Inc. Correct. And before that, you worked for PopSugar and for AOL Media. So you have a, a, a rich background in digital um, and in media. You could say that. What, what attracted you to Reddit?
4: Uh, well, it I've been a Reddit sort of lurker for a long time.
5: Ah.
4: Uh, so I've been on Reddit and kind of know what Reddit's about. And I actually when I joined Time, saw the return of Steve and Alexis at the time, you know, to kind of, you know, rebase Reddit after years, and some wild years. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited about it. Um, I could see the traffic that it drove to our properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually actively reached out at the time to try to understand what was happening. And so I've been tracking Reddit for a while both as a user and just in general in the industry. So. I think I've been a believer for a long time
5: yeah I'm, I'm a big lurker as well where yeah do you where do you like to lurk
4: so I'm actually a poster now but oh. uh, yeah <laughs> but I, I have a 17 month old so r slash parenting
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, I am a deep vintage camera collector so r slash Polaroids uh, which I love um, you know sometimes I go on just for something happy like r slash made me smile
3: yeah
4: uh, a lot in entertainment Uh, Yeah, so all over the place. I mean, personal finance. I actually solved a problem of mine the other day, which is I got a very strange crank call. And uh, it was helpful for, like a Redditor actually said, you know, I think they might be voice recording you. You should get a robo-killer app. Yeah, it was great. It's amazing. I ask a lot of questions now.
5: Yeah, Reddit is is a problem-solving place. Yeah,
4: and Um. it's, like, fast. You know, within 24 (laughs) hours, like, very specific, solved.
5: Yeah, so... You're parts of many, many diverse communities on Reddit, and there are hundreds of thousands of sort of niche spaces that people can become a part of. Um, And that speaks to something that I think is interesting and also challenging about your job, right? Which is like, how do you unite hundreds of thousands of people with really diverse interests? And then how do you create relationships between those communities and like brands or advertisers or people who want to give reddit money yeah um would you say like that's the biggest challenge that you face in your job or like i don't think you know it's funny
4: i think actually describing reddit sometimes is the biggest challenge because it's so unique and it doesn't follow the paths of what you see in the world of social or publishing Mm -hmm. right on reddit you start with your interest and you have like a hundred thousand plus communities and it can be hard for people to understand what happens and how it operates. Mm-hmm. Right. When we say we have human moderators who actually look at the content and set rules, it's hard for people to understand how that system works because most other, you know, sort of competitive platforms don't operate by sort of human power mm-hmm. and um, that kind of process. Um, but, you know, we describe it, you know, more perfunctorily as the world's uh, largest network of communities mm-hmm. And I think that what's really interesting about the communities is they're incredibly unifying. Actually, it feels really like it would be fragmented, mm-hmm. but it's not. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, I know that in the world of like, the subreddit of Polaroids, I guarantee you there are people in there who I would never talk to in real life. Probably because they might just be from a different geography, a different political view, a different socioeconomic view. But we're in there talking about Polaroids. Mm-hmm. There's actually something really unifying about that. Uh, to know that an interest can allow people to cross other boundaries that maybe in real life you couldn't. Mm. And that's actually one of the powerful things about Reddit. And, you know, I try to explain to people, we do these things, you know, we we have these moments on Reddit. You've probably seen, you know, r slash place where we Mm. had this pixel canvas where everybody got a pixel and you can paint it whatever color and you leave it open and you can just imagine, you know, what could happen, good things, bad things. (laughs) And something amazing happened, like a real piece of art, Um, where people coordinated to make a flag or to say something. And it was incredibly unifying because people got together, you know, people didn't know each other from different backgrounds to create something. Mm. So I think there's actually, like, I think of Reddit as a place where you're kind of like disunity and difference becomes a source of unity. Mm. And I think of it the opposite way. Um, I think for brands, uh, you know, sometimes Reddit can be hard to understand, um, but I think because, again, it's, it's different than our competitors, very differentiated. Where we start is around trust and relevance. So mm-hmm. the foundation of Reddit is a set of values about um, user control, empowerment, about trust, relevancy, and about contribution. So quality information, helping each other. You know, that's the the economy of Reddit versus followership and popularity, you know, and it's it's incredibly different. So when brands, when we talk to brands about the opportunity in Reddit, Mm -hmm. we talk about you can find your people in the most relevant context. And what we can do is help you jump into a conversation with them that builds a really strong base Mm -hmm. of trust and connection. And then from there... You can fan out into, you know, bigger pools because obviously we're incredibly big. But Reddit's the only place where you can do that. Uh, and, you know, that's and that's why I get excited and why I joined.
5: Yeah, it's it's interesting that you sort of even mention having uh, competitors in the space because yeah. as you say, like, yeah. Reddit feels like a very different type of platform than yeah. certainly anything in the social media space, yeah. but as well as anything in the sort of digital media space. It's not quite a publisher. It's not quite a social network.
4: No, it's community at its heart and nobody looks like us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the ad market is a shared market. Mm -hmm. And in the end, you know, you have competitors in terms of the ad market and who brands want to work with. Um, So I think we're just a very differentiated opportunity. I mean, if you look at, you look at the world of marketing today, I think you, you, people are, want to hear from communities They trust their people And their tribe They trust communities They're looking for product recommendations They're looking for product discovery from communities mm-hmm. And it's like It sort of flipped on its head It's like you start with that And then you kind of radiate out mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Reddit does Um, in its truest form. So I think marketers who understand that get really excited because there's no other place to do that.
5: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about money and about ads because I know this has always been a little bit of a pain point for Reddit. Um, Historically, uh, Reddit has not been fantastic about monetizing uh, the platform. Um, And it's it's always been kind of ironic because you have, what, like 330 million users or something like that. Um, who, as you say, come from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, you you sort of know their interests really well yeah. because they present really them on us. the platform, right. um, and so you've got this this rich rich community of people. Um, and yet, Reddit has like always struggled to figure out how yeah. to how to monetize that or how to leverage yeah. um, what's going on there. So, how how have you approached that in yeah. the job so far?
3: Well,
4: it's interesting. I think there were years when Reddit just didn't want to make money like yeah and, and so first is just the the vision and the desire to do that and I think you know we all believe that Reddit I and mean, Reddit's a business and it really we want Reddit to survive and be able to support itself and sustain itself and grow to you know a billion plus users mm-hmm. and that that takes a, a business which is a you know self-propelling kind of entity and you know, we've actually had active conversations about our users, like about our ad business, about coin, about, you know, this process. And I think our users who love Reddit, I mean, they are incredibly passionate. They, they just want Reddit to be in a good place and to keep going. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that that mentality has changed.
3: Mm-hmm. And
4: um, so that I, I don't worry about as much. I think we, we have a path. We have a path on the advertising side. We've made a lot of strides, a lot of investment um, in technology and talent on that side. I mean, in the last couple of years, I think we've x our revenue. We have an ad platform that you know, now has uh, a biddable marketplace um, with video, um, with interest targeting. I mean, it's just, it, we're, we're really building out our capabilities. And then on the other side, we have Coin. Um, which is this really interesting and uniquely Reddit um, experience where you can buy coin and right now just only guild somebody else. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of opportunity to take that natural engagement mechanism and and make it bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's also something else. So I think there are just – it's it's been a natural evolution, Mm -hmm. um, and it's felt very organic, and I still think authentic to Reddit. Um, But we've definitely passed that point of – you know of yes recognizing we are a business and we want to earn money.
5: You've passed the point of, yeah. of not making money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, has there been any sort of shift in the way that you think about uh, behavior yeah. um, or or sort of what people post on Reddit as you sort of start to court more advertisers? I mean it would seem to me like Um, one of the trade-offs is that Reddit has always been this very laissez-faire, like post what you want, make a community for whatever you want kind of place. And part of uh, getting into the ad business is that you have to sort of clean things up a little bit. Has that played into the way that you think about um, moderation or behavior or publishing standards or anything like that on the platform?
4: I think we have a really clear and unique approach to how we handle moderation Mm -hmm. all the way from foundational which is everything across reddit inc in terms of you know the content policy which you know is is almost like the federal government just like you know kind of set of rules the folks who actually enforce that you know in terms of our anti-evil team and the folks who communicate that to the moderators and community which is the community team Mm -hmm. What we have is, which is really unique, is that we have the human moderation. And they, you know, those moderators create a set of rules that are more stringent than our rules because they're trying to foster good conversation in their community. I mean, I can tell you, if you try to post on Reddit in some of these subreddits, you have to be on topic. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you will not be able to post in that subreddit because the moderators are really focused on on specific conversations, um, and you know we that provides a layer that nobody else has, which is like human review. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
4: and you know we also have upvote downvote signals, which the downvote is it's, it's very important because the upvote and downvote gives you a sense of what the community thinks is quality. And they're really good. They're really good at determining like the veracity of content, like just in general, you know, um, how, whether it's on topic or not. For advertisers, there's another layer that they can access, which is you can whitelist. You can, you know, negative target. You We have a brand strategy team that helps you translate your messages into the vernacular of Reddit and think about where to target and start the conversation first so that, like a good Reddit user, you remain on topic, starting mm-hmm. with the right community. Um, we allow you to turn comments on or off, and comments are moderated. I mean, there's an inordinate amount of things that brands can do you know on a campaign basis or just you know just on reddit so i think when we look at all of those things we feel like we have a very strong and clear approach Mm -hmm. um and brands have really responded they've responded well to it i mean they want to have the conversation and understand and once they understand sort of like okay we move on
5: Mm -hmm. that's interesting um I wonder if you think other things about moderation on Reddit have changed in recent years, or even since you've joined yeah. the team. Um, especially because this idea of moderation uh, has become such a big topic in the tech space this yeah. past year, right? Yeah. With, yeah. with sort of um, Facebook and Twitter yeah. and Instagram and all of these platforms struggling yeah. to like make communities that are nice um, and yeah. that are also protected against uh, sort of yeah. bad actors. Yeah. Um, well,
4: it's. You know, it's interesting. I think that Reddit kind of has its own, like I said, it's very unique and it has its own kind of ecosystem mm-hmm. and mechanism for ensuring quality in moderation, right? We we run on karma points, mm-hmm. which is based on contributions, not popularity. It's not how beautiful your photo was. It's like it is really based on contribution. You can get coin or gilded for it, but it is, it is truly judgment of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is the moderators, they get... You know they're they are trying to keep the conversation on topic in a specific community, and because that's a sort of constrained objective, that's really different than like an ocean, right? We have policy for the ocean, but when you have somebody looking at this parcel where we're trying to just have a conversation about parenting. Um, it keeps it really manageable, Mm -hmm. right, and really focused in a different way. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the benefits of Reddit is that you have these moderators in these parcels keeping the conversation on topic because of the way we're organized.
5: Yeah, so the the idea is to sort of um, perhaps put the onus on the users and the moderators themselves and they provide support.
4: Yeah, I mean, we have a baseline of policy across everything, but the moderators and the users, they care because... I mean, I'm in parenting because, like, I probably have some crazy question about my (laughs) 17-month-old. And it's like, I'm not there to hear about politics or, right? I want to hear from other parents. Right. And that's what everybody there wants. So the moderators are highly... I mean, if you ever meet some of the moderators, we do a road show every year with, like, six different locations. If you meet these people and you hear their stories about, like, why do they take the time Mm -hmm. to do this? Why do they spend hours, you know, on Reddit growing this community? It's often because they have, like an incredibly deep mission or passion for this group like it may be rowing, it may be infertility, it may be divorce support, it may be Game of Thrones like it is incredibly deep and they are just motivated to keep their communities mm-hmm. healthy.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I I've, I've uh, always marveled at the fact that Reddit has managed to get so many people to almost dedicate like a like a full-time job amount of hours to <laughs> making their community fortunately <laughs>
4: some communities have a lot of moderators so, to help. yeah but, and we give them tools
5: but you'll meet people who spend yeah, yeah. 20 hours a week yeah. uh in their communities which is a labor of love yeah um, it is do you do you see reddit as a publisher no why I not
4: don't. you know I've i've worked at publishers when i think about publishers People go to publishers for like their craft mm-hmm. and the writing um, or the incredible photography and the knowledge of a specific vertical, mm-hmm. and that's how they influence. It's by that kind of like power of the you know editor et cetera. And I don't think I don't I just don't think that's what Reddit is. I mean Reddit ultimately influences by the collection of the community and the thoughts of users who are, they're not editors, they may be experts and deemed experts, you know, by the community, but they're not like, uh, you know, paid by the brand or anything like Mm -hmm. that, where they, you know, start from having more say than somebody else. It all starts on equal footing. So they're fundamentally very different.
5: Okay. And does that uh, help or hurt your case when you're sort of courting um, brands, advertisers money, as you you mentioned before?
4: I think that because there's no um there's nobody like us who's come before us it, it gets to this point of explaining right 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 so you reach <laughs> right. for like the paradigms you know like I understand a publisher
3: right. I
4: understand a social platform and then you're mm-hmm. like okay animal vegetable mineral you know like I have this other thing that that's different yeah and so I think sometimes that's the challenges uh, for folks that just take a step back and be like wait what is your mission what are you right I think you know so we get some of that i think that's really changed in the last year i think a lot of people a lot of marketers have heard our story and frankly we hear the word community mentioned by marketers they're looking to understand have a more profound understanding of what community is and because that's the basis of what we do i, mean, I think we're they they they've started to they they really understand you know what reddit is and and how it fits into, you know, their objectives and their world. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's probably taken the last year of storytelling to get there.
5: Yeah, yeah. W- would you say that Reddit is in a moment of transition right now in that sense?
4: Uh, I mean, we're always in transition. Always in, always I think this is, <laughs> I like to say, I think this is Reddit's moment.
3: Hmm.
4: Uh, we have, from a business standpoint, I talked about the investment we made on the advertising side. I mean, we grew over by over a hundred last year. We have the capabilities, the team, the technology to serve our clients in a wide variety of ways, from brand engagement and soon to be in performance. You want to buy on a reserve basis? You want to buy an auction basis? Like we have a lot in place. We have the measurement. So mm-hmm. that's what feels really good when I say it's like our moment because I feel like. We have a lot of offerings to bring to market that are competitive. I think our story is really clear. And you think about just what's happening in the general environment. I think marketers want they want diversification, they want a principled alternative. Um, they want um, they want community. They want the the understanding of what a group of people who are their people. Um, they want to be able to talk to them. Hmm. So I think it's it's sort of like a great moment for Reddit.
5: Yeah. Okay, Jen, I have one last question sure. for you. Um, on this podcast, we always give our listeners uh, recommendations. Okay. Um, and so uh, we can recommend a, a podcast, a book, a movie, okay. um, a practice of life, um, or a subreddit that's yeah. fun and quirky. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
4: Huh. Well, I've been doing something, one of my resolutions this year is that my mother told me that, she's like, Jen, you're a perpetual motion machine. Hmm. Doesn't seem very, you know, very good to, to be that. And so uh, what I'm doing is when I am being eternally peripatetic, I take a glass of water and I just sit down and drink it with no foam. And it's, it's really hard to do, to not read, to not do something else and drink a cup of water. It's incredibly meditative. It actually um, really calms you down and lets you reflect. But it is incredibly hard to do. But it refocuses you. So I would offer that as something that might be interesting.
5: I love that. How often do you do this?
4: Um, I try to do it once a day.
5: Once a day. You yeah. just have a have a cold glass of water. That's it. Sit down.
4: That's it. Nothing else. And do nothing. Yeah. I love that. Feels like a long time.
5: <laughs> well, Jen, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So going off of uh, Jen's recommendation of sitting quietly and drinking an entire glass of water without looking at your phone, I'm getting hives just thinking of that. Um, why don't we go through our own recommendations? Ariel, you go first.
2: Sure. So um, one of the things we saw this week at CES that I think is genuinely cool and genuinely recommend all of our listeners get is the YubiKey for iOS So YubiKey, if you're not already using one or you're not familiar, is a way of doing hardware two-factor authentication. So it's a way of protecting your accounts um, by not just entering a password, but also having a device that you plug into your computer that says, like, nope, it's really me. Um, It's not hackable because it's a piece of hardware that you carry with you. We love these at Wired. We actually used to give them out with our subscriptions because um, we believe in them so much. And it's just a very, very easy way to like keep all your accounts a little bit safer. Um, of course, one of the things that's annoying about a YubiKey is that you can set up two factor authentication with YubiKey, but then you can't use it on your phone because these things for now only plug into your computers. Yubico, the company who makes them, is changing that by creating um, an iOS specific YubiKey this year. Um, So it's not shipping yet. It will come out sometime this year. And basically it will work exactly the same, but it'll plug into your phone, uh, giving you just like that extra boost of security every time you log into something on your phone.
0: I I really like the design because it has lightning on one side and USB-C on the other. So like you can use it for your MacBook. And when the iPhone inevitably goes to USB-C for its connector, then it'll just keep working on your iPhone.
1: I have to say I haven't used a YubiKey yet um, because I just I'm – all, I'm all software on 2FA. Like, I use 1Password, and I like mm-hmm. that. And then I really like the new autofill mechanism that Mac OS Mojave has, mm-hmm. which makes things a lot easier. Like, for logging into websites, it's, it makes things super smooth. But now, after this, I'm going to try YubiKey. You've yes. totally sold me. They're yeah. just,
2: like, a little bit safer. Like, using two-factor – like. On, with like a Google Authenticator or like a software-based solution is great, um, but it's not foolproof, right? Because mm-hmm. someone can still hack that in theory. Right. If you have something that you're holding in your hand, like no one can hack that. They could, like, I suppose, steal it. But right. that would be like Mike stealing my YubiKey rather than like an anonymous hacker.
3: Yeah. <laughs> right,
1: right. <laughs> Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not using 1Password for 2FA because 1Password is just scrambled password storage. But right. yeah, I've right. been using just standard you know, text message-based 2FA, and you're totally right.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, I, as a as an, uh, Pixel, a Google Pixel Android user, <laughs> um, I like the Neo, the YubiKey Neo, because it has uh, NFC, so you can just tap it to your phone for oh, 2FA, cool. which is really, so like, the best thing about doing it on mobile is that you don't have to switch apps to go over to your authenticator and then plug something, like copy something, and then go back and plug it in before it expires. You can just tap. And then you're in. It's really nice.
2: That's
1: cool. Security. It's Yay. so important. Somebody
0: was talking about privacy <laughs> and security. I
1: wish Brian Barrett was here. <laughs> oh, don't we all?
0: Um, so that sounded really sinister. <laughs> don't we, really we all? really do wish you were
1: here, Brian, to talk about security. <laughs>
0: so dismissive. Um, my recommendation is this really fun product that I heard about last year, but I finally got to touch and interact with this year. It's called MUI, and that's M-U-I. Uh, It's made by a company from Kyoto, Japan, by the same name. It's a wood panel. It's about – I'm holding my hands up like anybody can see what I'm – it's about two and a half feet long and maybe about eight inches tall, nine inches tall. Uh, It's a touch-sensitive wood panel, and it has um, uh, a light array behind the wood. So as you touch it and swipe it, it lights up and it turns into a smart display. So you can use it to display news headlines. You can use it to display the weather. um, You can have it just show a message. You can also use it to interact with your smart home. So you can turn up the lights. You can turn down the lights. You can adjust the thermostat. You can hook it through um, if this, then that. So, you know, it's basically just like, a smart home controller. So if you have something like um a touch screen or like a brilliant light switch or something like that, it's basically the same thing, except it's just a block of wood. Um now it's not a real product yet. They're going through Kickstarter and it's gonna cost about a thousand dollars when it comes out at the end of this year, fingers crossed, fall twenty nineteen, which probably means it'll show up in twenty twenty. the reason I'm recommending it is because there a lot, it got a lot of attention this week and a lot of people were poo-pooing it because it's a thousand dollar piece of wood that doesn't really do much that like a, you know, $400 smart home switch can do. But um, I think it's important because it shows us what the future of interaction could look like in a smart home. Like you could walk into your house and instead of touching a screen, you could just touch a piece of wood on the wall. Mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that, like, you know, whenever we talk about what the smart home is going to look like, it's like, oh, it's going to be a mirror that you can interact with and your alarm clock and your television. And, but it's like, yeah, those are screens. What about things that aren't screens? And here's something that's really beautiful. It is beautiful, by the way, and doesn't really have a screen. I think it's kind of neat.
1: That sounds very cool. It does look really nice. It's really elegant looking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you. Cool. Okay. So my recommendations are a little bit, um, I don't know, offbeat, I guess, in the sense that they're not hardware, and also they're probably not things that you can get right away, but I still am recommending them regardless. So for the past couple years at CES, companies like Amazon and Google have had a pretty big presence here because of their voice assistants. Their voice assistants, uh, Google Assistant and Alexa, start popping up in new hardware, and there are literally thousands of third-party hardware makers that are starting to make devices um, that are using, like basically, these companies like you know, software kits and putting their assistants in their you know, speakers and smart lights and toilets, as we saw this year and things like that. <laughs> so this year, a couple of the favorite things, um, a couple of the things that I saw that I really liked were updates to Google Assistant that I think will change a lot of people's experiences at home. So if you're a Sonos owner and you have a newer Sonos, which is a Sonos One or a Sonos Beam, you will soon be able to get the Google Assistant on those speakers, which is pretty cool. Can I just clap real quick? Yeah, I know. It's taken them a while. Take them a while, Sonos. We've been hearing this promise that you're going to be like the Switzerland of smart home and all that stuff. Um, It's already worked with Amazon Alexa for a long time, but now you have the option of Google Assistant. Or you soon will. That software is going to be rolling out slowly. Um, And then the second thing was something called Google Assistant Interpreter Mode, which we saw in a late-night demo in Caesars Palace uh, the night before the show officially started. So Google Assistant will now act as a real-time translator between two people trying to have a conversation where language is a barrier. Um, And um, this will work on Google Smart Displays and on Google Smart Speakers. So in the example we saw, uh, a a quote-unquote German tourist who was really a Google employee posing as a German tourist (laughs) went up to the concierge at Caesar's Palace and and said in German, I would like Celine Dion tickets. Go Celine Dion, uh, part of Google demo. (laughs) Um, But don't we all. um, Your heart will go on, all right. (laughs) uh, And then the concierge didn't speak German. So instead, he just activated Google interpreter mode on this smart display. And the two of them had a conversation while the smart display was translating in nearly real time. It was fascinating. It's a fascinating use case. Google's been doing really interesting stuff with voice over the past year. Some creepy demos, some that have raised some ethical questions. This is one I could see being genuinely useful, and so that is something that they're rolling out slowly, um, first you know with hotel concierges and specific locations, but hopefully uh, more broadly at some point. Very cool. That was a really long recommendation. Sorry, guys.
0: No, that's fine. I I, going
1: to translate that in between. Maybe that should be the next Google Assistant feature. Can I recommend that? Can can Google Assistant shrink really long-winded explanations of things? Because I I could use that.
2: I feel like you're trying to put us out of a job because that feels like a Google Assistant editor feature. Oh, right. That's
3: true.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm being subtweeted now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I think also Alibaba demonstrated something last year and this year that was also um, like a machine translation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, from the description, Google sounded a lot more elegant. Um, But, you know, that's something that's been promised for a really long time. And I think it's really kind of it's like very exciting to me Um, (laughs) when it shows up in the phone and you don't need a Google Home or a Google Home Hub or a Google Home Max or a Google Home Mini in order to make it work, uh, then that would be awesome if you could just pull your phone out, put it on the table, and have a conversation with somebody with your phone acting as a translator.
1: Because right now you can do that, of course, but you have to open an app. Yeah. And, you know, there have been headphones that have promised this real-time translation Mm -hmm. but that's good for exactly one person who's having the conversation the Mm -hmm. person who's wearing the headphones Mm -hmm. so yeah you're totally right like having it be just this near instantaneous thing just with the device that we carry with us all day long Mm that would be very cool
0: well good recommendations um thanks everybody for listening to our special ces episode from las vegas nevada so exciting um, you can find all of us on Twitter. Arielle, you are at... Pardesoteric. At Pardesoteric. Lauren, you are?
1: Good with an E. At Lauren Good with an E.
0: At Lauren Good with an E. And I am at Snackfight. Uh, you can also find our special guest, the High Pitched Mechanical Wine, at High Pitched Mechanical Wine <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. Um, and we'll be back next week in the studio, thank goodness, uh, with more news from the Gadget Lab. Thank you.
2: Does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.